Patsy DeFerrance is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Okay, one of the people's favorite guests is back because I think he forgot to read the fine print in his Boston Herald contract where I get to bug him to come on my <laughs> podcast and he pretty much has to say yes because I'm going to see Doug tomorrow as I saw him today, as I saw him yesterday, and we're talking now every day, Doug Kide of the Boston Herald. How's that sound, by the way, after now? We're coming up on like your uh, two-month anniversary here. Sounds good. I still like it. I'm, I'm going to stay on board. I like working with you. I like working with the Herald. It, it sounds great to me. Awesome. Good. Uh, two month anniversary that coming out of my mouth felt like I should go back to sixth grade oh, wow. uh, with my first girlfriend. You know, that's just, it's maybe the lamest term we've used on here, but Hey, that's kind of what it is. Two months. Welcome. Uh, also our 101st episode here today wow. it was brought to my attention. I did a hundred earlier this week. We had some fake trades. Didn't really celebrate. I don't know. Maybe I'll celebrate on my year and two month anniversary coming up. Uh, TBD. So today the plan is to cover everything that we learned for the Patriots roster cuts with Doug. They have a 53-man roster. They have a mostly complete practice squad. And everything, of course, is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. We did this last time you were on. I haven't done it with anyone else. So let's bring it back. Spit it out. 30 seconds. What you learn about this team in the last two days? I learned that the Patriots didn't really like their quarterback situation, which I don't think a lot of people were fully aware of before cutdowns. Um you know, we'll talk a little bit more about Billy Zappi here in the future, but I mean, Bill O'Brien said not a month ago that this was one of the best quarterback rooms that he's been a part of. And then at the end of cutdowns, there was one guy left in there. And obviously now they brought a couple of guys back, but I don't think we really knew the full extent of how the Patriots felt about Bailey Zappi, Malik Cunningham, Trace McSorley, everything before cutdowns. And now it's blatantly obvious that they didn't really value anyone behind Mac Jones. That's spot on. I'm going to go in the other direction though. And that the Patriots see what we saw. And that was an offensive line that is just flatly not good enough because 11 offensive linemen, which they have right now in the 53 man roster, that's more than 20% of the entire roster uh, is excessive. And I wrote about this three weeks ago. You and I have been tweeting about this, reporting it, but they were preparing in their preseason opener, the way Bill Bill O'Brien called plays. He called plays in training camp for worst case scenario. And this roster construction is them packing the bunker with supplies, with food, Canned goods, knowing that Hurricane Cox and Graham and Jordan Davis is barreling down to Foxborough and it's hitting September 10th. And then you're talking about Zach. Yeah, no, not yet. Oh, he's his own hurricane in the rugby field. But the Eagles are coming and you can't afford to have that. So they're bundling up with as many tackles and offensive linemen as they can because 11 is a lot. And so as much as we always go, and this is true, there is always one surprise on cutdown day with the Patriots. They're still aligned with our larger reality as we see it. And that was whether you had 50 or 51 people out of the 53 man roster projections, um, as I think you did and Mark Daniels did. And I might've, depending on whatever it was, I did that a couple of days ago, but ultimately they're more in touch with reality, which is generally a good thing after last season. than uh, sometimes people say, because Bill Belichick's unpredictable or this or that ultimately they see the roster as we saw it. And I think that's uh, a good thing right now. So Let's go back to Bailey Zappi, though, because obviously he's a headliner. Um, You had some reporting around what happened with him. I'll just share what I heard from someone uh, within the team, which was two words. Quote, he stunk. And that covered training camp. It covered the preseason. We can go into the numbers in a second. But the things that you heard were pretty similar. 
yeah, and that's just that the performance wasn't good enough, that he wasn't picking up the offense, uh, you know, fast enough, so that he wasn't a good enough fit for what Bill O'Brien wanted to do. And it's essentially just what I heard from multiple people was that it wasn't good enough. And, you know, what I have expected, like if I had heard, you know, a week ago, yeah, we just don't think that Bailey's good enough. Would I have expected them to cut him? Probably still not just because there, there was no safety net there in case something happens to Mac Jones. But I think to some degree, you have to give Bill Belichick credit for just saying like, all right, I mean, you haven't been good enough. You haven't, you don't deserve to make this 53 man roster. You might be a quarterback. We might need you, but we want to set a precedent here for players who are good enough to make the team. And you're not one of them. I do want to go on a slightly mini rant about this though, because I feel like I've seen too many people say like, oh yeah, like, Bill Belichick took a risk and it really paid off. He, he waved his two quarterbacks and still wound up getting them on the practice squad. And like, yeah, that's great. But the Patriots also drafted a quarterback a year ago in the fourth round that they did not care about losing, that they let all other 31 teams get a crack at. And they did not care if any of those other teams claimed him. And like, maybe they were hoping that none of the teams claimed him. But that's not really how waving a player works. Like you have to accept that someone else could take this player. So I, I don't I don't really look at it like I don't think that this is a way to praise Bill Belichick. I think Mike Florio was the latest one to do it. He wrote a piece of like, oh, Bill Belichick still playing chess and everyone else is playing checkers. Like that's not what this is. They yeah, cut the, the a player that wasn't was, good enough. Was poker and everyone else is playing 52 pickup. And that it was maybe five paragraphs. And I don't mean to spend part of the podcast dumping on Mike Florio. Anyone could do that in their right. own time. But it just felt like an article for the sake of the headline. Like, okay, right. you had one line, yeah. but what was the substance behind it? And you're absolutely right. In an ideal world, the Patriots don't cut Bailey Zappi because he's right. good enough, not only in our eyes on the outside, but their eyes on the inside. Because five weeks ago, Bill Belichick is saying, we're going to let them compete, meaning Mac and Zappi and McSorley, though we all know what that really meant, and see how it goes. And how it went is Zappi's technically not on the team. Right. Yeah. And like no one's no one's praising the Panthers right now for cutting Matt Corral after a season. <laughs> they like if they wind up, you know, adding him to their practice squad, no one's gonna be like, oh, great job, Panthers. You drafted quarterback in the third round and wound up having him on your practice squad a year later. And I guess like, you know, I, I don't want to necessarily dump on Bill Belichick too much either, because I do think he deserves some praise for cutting his losses and and kind of making this statement by cutting Bailey Zappi. I don't think it's the end of the world that they had to trade away Pierre Strong and cut Bailey Zappi. But at the same time, fourth round pick should be on your team for more than a year. And as you just mentioned, Bailey Zappi technically not on the team right now. And if he goes on to have success or winds up being a star, whatever it is with the Patriots in the future, the reality is, is that they still did cut him. And the, yeah, they wound up, it wound up working out. They wound up on the practice squad, but like they still made the decision to give him away to any one of the other 31 teams. So let's back up a second, because I think in the way that, you know, we are highlighting what the Patriots did was in no way a vote of confidence, but in fact, the exact opposite. And there's reporting out there that the Patriots still wanted him back as your backup quarterback. If you wanted him as your backup quarterback, you keep him on the team. It's as simple as that. <laughs> I believe other reporting that they wanted a veteran as a backup, ideally a Colt McCoy who's got an elbow injury uh, or somebody else obviously couldn't find that veteran because Bailey Zappi's back. But people listening to this, probably Bailey Zappi fans would go, where the hell were you guys 
at every single practice, right. not documenting that Bailey Zappi could have been cut. And I'll tell you this. I also, like Doug, would not have expected Bailey Zappi to be cut, even if I had heard the same thing I heard, which was he stunk in that covered preseason and training camp. But here are the numbers. Preseason. He was 30 of 51. That's sub 60% completion percentage for 253 yards, one touchdown, five sacks. You, of course, will remember the three fumbles in one game in the preseason finale. Training camp, he completed 64% of his passes. He had six interceptions in team periods that led all quarterbacks. And that's with maybe one or two reps with the starters, and that was it. So he had the highest interception percentage. He took the most sacks in the preseason and in training camp. And is a guy who routinely struggled with batted passes at the line because he's six foot. That's how God made him. I'm not going to knock him. But that's a reality if you're going to make someone your backup quarterback. So I wrote in the last couple of days of camp, he was in my duds category. Okay. And you and I talked about this being like, right. is, Bailey, is Bailey really going to be a dud for a second straight day? It was like, yeah, that's just what it is. Yeah. But we didn't go to the lengths that the Patriots did, obviously cutting him. The gamble paid off. I'll just ask you this, not playing the result knowing that he cleared waivers with Malik Cunningham, by the way, who we can talk about, mm -hmm. would you have made that gamble based on his performance in camp in the available market on the outside with the veterans who were hanging out somewhere? Probably not. Even though I like Bill Belichick, like I said, making the statement by saying your camp stunk and you're cut. Uh, but I still think that he showed enough last year in those two games, not to compete with Mac Jones, because that was never the reality of the summer, but like, maybe there's something there to work with. But I mean, the simple fact does remain that they switched offenses and that seems to possibly be a part of this too. And, you know, something that I've heard is that he just didn't seem to be fitting into what the Patriots were asking him to do this summer. And it is interesting because like, like you mentioned, sometimes, you know, we get so deep into the weeds of things. You'd be like, oh, who is a dud today? And I feel like every time you ask me that question, because it wasn't very often, I was like, I kind of think Bailey Zappi was a dud today. <laughs> yeah. But I still I still don't know if it reached the level of, of cutting him. Like, I know, like, the stats are – the stats aren't horrible. That's the thing. So they're, they're middling. They're not terrible and well they're like a backup quarterback you know like this right. is the bar of what mac jones needs to meet now or anyone who's going to play but at least just be human duct tape for the offense if right. the starter misses a couple games which obviously mac did last year and bailey was better than duct tape he was gorilla glue i don't know pick your adhesive but he was really good in those couple of games which i want to get back to but keep going yeah and i mean i'll, I'll go into that as well because I think it's pretty obvious that the Patriots kind of tailored their offense to what Bailey Zappi could do last year. They kind of schemed it up so that he he could play the best that he possibly could. Which, and then this year, it felt like they kind of threw the whole offense at him and said, all right, let's see how you do sinking or swimming when we give you everything. Everything that, that Bill O'Brien can put out there for you. And didn't go as well. But I don't know, like, if it is colt mccoy how much better is it going to look if he's getting thrown everything that bill o'brien can throw at them and if you think that this guy has some sort of developmental traits wouldn't it be worth another year of saying like all right if you have to go in there we'll tailor the offense to you and you know scheme things up a little bit more for you i, I don't know i think that this does show you that they didn't think that there was anything developmental about billy zappy he is what he was last year he is what he is, that he's not going to significantly or dramatically improve, and that, you know, 
who he is as a quarterback just isn't good enough to ever compete for a starting role. And quite frankly, wasn't even good enough to guarantee his, his role as the backup. And that's the most damning part about this is I wrote, you know, which will be in the Herald tomorrow meeting by the time people listen to this today or the day before that they saw value either short-term in just the roster spot or long-term in cutting bait was Bailey Zappi. Long-term right. would have been, had they identified someone else to come in and, you know, you're able to improve that position with another player. It didn't happen. He's back. I still think he can get back to the level we saw last year, um, yeah. which was a serviceable backup. And that could be his career. He could be Chase Daniel 1.5, shorter quarterback, you know, smarter, didn't have as much production in college, different offense, blah, blah, blah. That path I think is still there. But three things about this. One, you mentioned taking the whole offense in. And he spoke in late July about how the game was slowing down for him. And his year yeah. two leap was specifically seeing things more clearly pre and post snap the way he was holding the ball i've described it like a little boy with his blanket okay suggests that somewhere pre or post snap or both he had issues and right. granted this defense is wildly complicated and, and disguises you know more than a spy okay like they're all over the place in that defense but this is his second year facing that defense and in this new offense it's a little unusual that this offense actually mirrors what he did in college more than what they did last year with Matt right. Patricia and Joe Judge. Maybe the shotgun to under center splits are a little different, but I'm talking about RPOs, more spread concepts. The running game involves the quarterback a little bit more. Like those things should have favored him. On that offense, number two, that he did last year, like those three games, two and a half, whatever you want to call it, three total if you had Green Bay and Chicago, put them together. I think really highlight how much an opponent can – in a small sample can influence what we think of a player, because I don't think you could have picked two better defenses at that time of the year to face than the lions right. in week five and the Browns in week six to have Bailey Zappi play. They were atrocious. They couldn't tackle. Right. They could barely stop the run. And he got under center, faked the run through the ball and found a lot of receivers. And they pull away with a win, mostly thanks to in that Detroit game, uh, a defensive touchdown. The last thing I'll say is this in, you know, asking around about what happened here even Tuesday after it happened with some people close. Um, not only were they, there was a mix of surprise, mm-hmm. even from the folks who told me, quote, he stunk, but people pretty embedded in that organization didn't know this was going to happen until after practice when it did. So this was something they kept close to the best. And yet I'm not positive. Bill Belichick wasn't thinking about as far as back as the preseason finale, when you'll remember, we wrote about this. Yeah. He leaves in the first half of Tennessee. In comes Trace McSorley, three and out, kneels the ball out, first half over. And the second half starts, and it's not McSorley, and it's not Malik Cunningham. Right. It was your backup then, Bailey Zappi, who played the whole second half. So, uh, of all that, <laughs> sorry, I'm just passing the ball. What do you got? No, I mean, I, I think that in retrospect, we probably should have looked at that a little, a little bit more damningly uh, for Billy Zappi. And maybe that's when, you know, some alarms should have gone off in our head. But and to your point, when I reached out to someone, I, I, my question was like, basically what the hell happened with Bailey Zappi? And the answer was, that's a question. A lot of people would like answers right now. Like, and that was by someone within the organization. So like, yeah, people were surprised by this. And I think something that's, I don't know, like the other thing here too, is yesterday during cutdown date, I think we were all kind of wondering like, why is Bill Belichick making cuts after practice? And maybe the answer to that was they didn't want one quarterback out there at practice. Like maybe they needed 
still the two to three quarterbacks, if you include Malik Cunningham, out there in practice. And that's why they released most of their players as they were walking off the practice field. But I mean, that must have come as a huge shock to Billy Zappi as well, because I can't imagine that he saw this coming that like, no. hey, all right, go out there for a two hour practice. And hey, pal, by the way, you're walking off the practice field, you're cut. Uh, like that's that's just that must have been a a crazy experience for him and um we all kind of tried to talk to him in the locker room today that got shut down by media relations we'll see what he eventually has to say the patriots usually have rules against practice squad players talking we'll see if that continues here in the future but i mean yeah i'd, I'd love to get like a truth serum to to bailey zappy to f- find out like what he was actually thinking in that moment because that must have been completely insane for him so this raises one more question, then we'll get to the offensive line because those two are, are absolutely linked. You know, they, they cut Bailey Zappi, I think, to create an extra roster spot for an 11th offensive lineman, or maybe it was Kevin Ayers or Ty Montgomery. Uh, but ultimately, there are 11 offensive linemen, and that's the second biggest story out of this. Okay, so you've heard me say before that you can win with the Patriots season over at FanDuel, America's number one sports book. You bet there, they win, you win too. Well, right now, new customers at FanDuel can bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed. That's win or lose for the Patriots. Plus, all customers who bet $5 will get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV. This is for all you folks who live outside New England. Now is the best time to join FanDuel. The app is easy to use. You can be on with everything from spreads to player props and more. We give out bets here on the podcast all the time. More are coming. Listen and bet on FanDuel and visit FanDuel.com slash Boston and kick off the NFL season with an offer you don't want to miss from FanDuel, the official partner of the NFL. Must be 21 year older and present in Massachusetts. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus is issued as a non-withdrawable bonus bet that expires seven days after receipt. Restrictions do apply. See terms at fanduel.com slash sportsbook. Hope is here. Gambling helpline ma.org. Call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSense ma.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. The NFL Sunday ticket offer ends on September 18th, 2023. That's the day after the Patriots week two game against Miami. No refunds. Terms and embargoes apply. $100 off NFL Sunday ticket, not YouTube TV itself. YouTube TV base plan requires you to watch uh, NFL Sunday ticket. Redemption requires a Google account and current form of payment. Commercial use is excluded. Subscription renews automatically, but you can cancel at any time. Bailey Zappi struggling in Bill O'Brien's offense. And Farrell Brown arriving today as a tight end who played under Bill O'Brien. And he's going to play for a position coach in Will Lawing, who is here because Bill O'Brien is here and has had to input on the coaching staff. And that's it. Will Lawing never stepped foot in Foxborough, as far as I'm concerned, except as a member of the Houston Texans under Bill O'Brien. All of this coming together says to me, maybe Bill O'Brien has a little more input on the personnel with Bill Belichick and Matt Groh and Steve Cargyle. Do you buy any of that? Certainly wouldn't be surprised. Like, that's not something I know. That's not something that I've heard that it was like, Oh, Bill O'Brien decided to cut Bailey Zappi. Yeah, I'm one of, that was not anything that I've been told or no, heard or that, anything. That would be Belichick's call. But right. like it, O'Brien's input is clearly weighing heavily in Foxborough and frankly, right. as, it, as it should. And I mean, yeah, like that's why I mentioned earlier. It's a new offense. Like Bill O'Brien is, is, has a, obviously all the say in the world and what the Patriots are putting out there offensively. And if they thought that Bailey Zappi was a better fit for what, Joe Judge and Matt Patricia were doing last year than what Bill O'Brien was doing this year. Like those pieces all fit together. Um, 
And I mean, Bill O'Brien has been a general manager in the past. Oh, <laughs> not oh. an overly successful one. Uh, so maybe you don't want him to have too much control over what's going on in the roster. But I mean, yeah, I think it's, I think coaches get input anyway, but I certainly wouldn't be surprised if someone as experienced as Bill O'Brien has a little bit more. I mean, we haven't actually seen a lot of the Patriots bringing in players who have experience in Bill O'Brien's system. But like, let's say if they sign AJ McCarron or something like that, not saying that's going to happen or anything, but like, then I think eyebrows really start to get raised because that would be another guy who's been uh, with Bill O'Brien. And like, it's been long enough since Bill O'Brien's really, really, really coach players. Like it's 2019, essentially. Like he was with Houston for a little bit of 2020, but it's kind of funny if you're out of the league for that long, four years or whatever it is, the the players who used to play under you kind of dwindle a little bit. Like I was even looking at some of the quarterbacks that played under him. It's like, well, Tom Savage isn't in the NFL anymore. You know I mean? Like, like it, that feels like such a bygone era, even though it was only 2018 or 2019. So we'll see if he, they start to sign more guys who played under Bill O'Brien and everything like that. But uh, no, it certainly would not surprise me if he had some input there. Not only because he's the offensive coordinator and someone who's been a head coach, you mentioned as a GM, but he's the quarterback's coach. Okay, right. so he he would yeah. know best with Bailey Zappi. Oh, I don't right. know that for a fact either. This is not to be aggregated or passed on, but no. I think it's worth speculating because, you know, just in the same way that Bill Belichick valued Joe Judge's ex- experience and input last year as now a former head coach. Granted, it was just two years and didn't go too well. Um, right. I think he's certainly going to take that input from Bill O'Brien uh, as someone who's more qualified and proven and established and just a better coach than Joe Judge. At least you would hope so. If it falls in his area of expertise, this obviously does. I wouldn't be surprised if Bill O'Brien maybe pushed this over the goal line if Bill or Grow were kind of on the fence. Okay, one area where they're not adding players from Bill O'Brien's time in Houston is the offensive line because that room is stocked. It is it is filled with giant, big, sweaty men. I don't know if they have enough chairs because they have 11 linemen, and here they are. Trent Brown, Cole Strange, David Andrews, Mike Unwenu, Riley Reef, City Sal, Jake Andrews, Antonio Maffi, Darian Lowe, Tyrone Wheatley Jr., and Calvin Anderson. First of all, great to see Calvin Anderson. That man Definitely. is smiling. He is grateful. He is so happy to be back in football after what he described as a serious illness. We don't have full details. He's going to disclose them later, but said he worried for his football future in the early days of this illness that was uh, onset sometime by the end of minicamp to the beginning of training camp. So, Again, I said at the outset, this is a lot. This is excessive. This is you know plan C, D, and E being on your 53-man roster. I would expect some sort of change, but they put Tyquan Thornton on IR today, and Riley Reef is still in the 53-man roster. Um, what do you think happens in the next few days? Certainly wouldn't be surprised if Reef also goes to IR. Um, not to get into like the too nitty-gritty of details, but yeah, do it. Um, I mean, like Riley Reef's agent isn't someone who's going to tell anyone that Riley Reef is going on injured reserve. Like yeah, it's just kind of the, the reality that we live in where sometimes this information gets out. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, sometimes it's team sources. And like, that's not something that the team might necessarily um, put out there, but I, I don't know, like no one's necessarily like, I don't think that anyone really knows Riley Reef's family or anything like that. So I don't know. It's just, it, it's unlikely that that information would get out that he's going on IR. So I certainly would not be surprised if on Thursday, Riley Reef and Tyquan Thornton go on injured reserve, Patriots fill those roster spots uh, one well, way or let the me, other. Let me say this for folks who, you know, are for some reason 20 minutes into a podcast in case they, you know, think 
less of us as reporters. That agent is Bill Belichick's agent. Okay. Yeah. That that's why he's not talking to any right. reporters about any transactions. It's not that Doug and I can't get a hold of him or pissed him off or he's not texting us back, <laughs> which has certainly happened before. Don't get us wrong. But that's why he's not telling any agent. Uh yeah, let's just say that there's a reason why James Ferentz it never gets leaked out that James Ferentz is getting cut and it never gets leaked out that James Ferentz is going to re-sign to the practice squad uh, because he also shares an agent with Ryder Reef and Bill Belichick. And that information just one way or the other does not get passed along. Um, so, and like, I think that that goes both ways where the team also just doesn't talk about those guys. Yeah. Uh, but w- would not be surprised if he gets placed on IR and then you're dealing with 10 offensive linemen, which is still a lot. But you you need it because there's no guarantee that Calvin Anderson will be ready for week one because he was on the non-football illness list for so long. There's no guarantee right now that we know of that Michael Wenner is going to be ready for week one. I don't think that there's necessarily a guarantee that Cole Strange will be ready for week one. So usually you'd probably only like to keep around eight or nine offensive linemen. And right now, given the fact that four of these guys, you don't know their status, you just you need 11 of them. And it's unfortunate. Uh, circumstance but that's what's going on here so I think that that's the next step here and then you basically just have to see in the next week and a half if Owenu can play if Cole Strange can play what's going on with Calvin Anderson and you know what your backup plans are if those guys can't go so I think we should just cut to the chase because we can do offensive lineman talk forever but I think we're going to lose the folks who are still hanging around with us the point is and I said this on the radio this morning There are five different players who could start for them at right tackle and just right tackle. There are Riley Reef, City Sal, Fedarian Lowe, Tyrone Wheatley Jr., who hasn't played a single snap in the NFL, but uh, I like this preseason tape. That's why I made fake trades. And Calvin Anderson, okay? Like, Bill Belichick said three times they had balls in the air Tuesday morning before all these roster cuts. He could have said it 10 more times and still would have been, uh, you know, on point and wouldn't have said it too many times. So my thing about this is, I think I'll this, throw a sixth in there too. I don't think it's going to happen, but like Michael Wenu could start at right tackle. Like he's done it in the past. I do, like I said, I don't think it's going to happen because of the injury, because of the lack of training camp, everything like that. But like there's actually a sixth that I think I would throw in there too. Making my head spin. Um, <laughs> I'm literally just seeing balls in the air, just like just cycle through as you go <laughs> through that. And you also got a very tiny, I would say 0.3% of the fan base, very excited, who have been. Uh, nagging for this I know. forever. And I don't Probably believe that Michael Wenu playing right tackle, but I'm in agreement with you. I don't think it'll happen. Here's the thing I do think will happen. The Patriots starting offensive line against the Eagles in their season opener will be drastically different than in week two against the Dolphins. I think it is too soon to ask Cole Strange and Mike Unwenu, who and Calvin Anderson, who virtually missed all of training camp. Okay, Cole Strange got hurt on July 31st, the first padded practice, to jump in against arguably the best defensive line in football in a new offense, in the opener, and just go. I do think one of them will play. And I think it will be Mike Onwenu. Because between him and Strange, he's more experienced. Uh, not only just within you know their, their system, which again is new, but it's not totally new. In the league, but as someone who's been ramping up for a while. You know, Cole Strange got ramped up, participated in practice, then had to cool down. Okay, because he just, he just couldn't practice. He couldn't do anything right. on that leg. And Mike, I want to return to practice sooner than Cole Strange. So I think this is my guess, and I want to hear yours after. From left to right, the Patriots' offensive line, this guess here on August 30th for their season opener, will go Shrimp Brown at left tackle, Antonio Mafia left guard, fifth-round rookie at UCLA, David Andrews, 
Mike on Wenu. I feel like I should roll a die. You know, my, Mike Reese had <laughs> dice on ESPN today. Why can't I have that. dice here on, on uh, Pat's interference? I'll say Vidarian Lowe because that's a guy who, unlike Tyrone Wheatley, uh, has played some NFL snaps, um, played mostly on the left side, but a little bit on the right side. I don't think Calvin Anderson will be ready. City Sal could be an option, but then I think you're asking for trouble with a fourth-round rookie playing a new position. And then Tyrone Wheatley Jr. just has hasn't played an NFL snap at a regular season. So that's that's my five. But it I, there could be a dozen other options. I, I think if they do that, then you might as well put might as well put Bailey Zappi back there. I think like <laughs> I'm gonna be a little bit more optimistic, maybe. Okay. And go Trent Brown, Cole Strange, David Andrews, Michael Wenu. And then this one's the terrifying one. I I think like if literally if the season started today, I think it would be City Sow at right tackle. Obviously there is a week and a half left until week one and things could change but like he's the guy who's actually played in this offensive line and practiced and he's practiced all summer he's been in that right tackle spot for a while i don't think it's necessarily gone particularly well in the preseason but he's at least got more experience in this offense and under adrian clem than than wheatley and vidarian low um I'm one. I'm not convinced at all that Strange and Owenu play. You're probably right that it's probably only going to wind up being one of them. I just don't know which one. And like, quite honestly, if they can't play, like the Patriots are losing against the Eagles, and and I I wouldn't want to get Mac Jones killed. I know it'd be insane to like throw out Bailey Zappi in Week One, but like you almost might as well at that point. I feel like I know that anything can happen in the NFL. Blah 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 blah. But like putting a battered offensive line out there against it's it's just it, it seems like it's gonna be a recipe for disaster well i'll i'll go back to what i wrote three weeks ago that bill o'brien has been preparing for this to yeah. work around an offensive right. line design an offense call it orchestrate it all those things knowing he can't trust five of the 11 players in the field or at least that unit that they comprise the offensive line and he's worked around it through rpos yeah. right. and screens and a small dose of play action and I think when you throw all those together and add in tempo, that's how they're going to try to solve the Eagles, whether their offensive line is healthy or not. So I think there is a path. The path is still holding the Eagles to 21 points or fewer because you're just not going to run up the score on their defense. But what the RPOs and the play action and the tempo will also do, in addition to tiring out their defensive line, is attack the weaknesses of their personnel on that side, which are the linebackers who are totally fresh and new, and the safeties, these downfield yeah. RPOs where they're making reads of the safeties and where they commit to either run or pass or are the overhang defender or whatever they're doing. And then to throw it behind them or hand it off, like that's where those are going to come into play. And I think they're going to be confident. I mean, Kendrick Bourne said as much today. You're always confident going into the season opener, blah, right. blah, blah. But I, I think there is a path. Who it is, though, I just gave a starting lineup. You gave one. Odds are we're both wrong. Um, <laughs> but it's just that's where they're at. And the last thing I'll say is this because I wrote this the other day. To me, this goes back to the off season. If you had just signed a proven established tackle, I don't want to belabor the point. That was right. March. We're all in the same boat that this offensive line isn't good enough. But the thing is, if it was Orlando Brown Jr. coming back instead of Riley Reef, you would know that once he's healthy, he can play. He can start. Right. Your tackles are fine. And then it's just a matter of, are the guards healthy enough? Because, yes, it's been a lot of bad injury luck. But if Riley Reef returns, you still don't know if he's good enough because he's right. 34. And he hasn't played right tackle with the starting offense since the second day of camp. And he's been at right guard in the preseason finale because he wasn't good enough and they needed the bodies. So it's a bummer they need 11 offensive linemen to field five, six, seven, eight healthy ones. Mm -hmm. But they also don't know 
of those five, six, seven, or eight, how many they can trust because right. they haven't seen Calvin Anderson in their system and starting or Riley Reef or Connor McNerone, who's now on IR. So that's, right. it's a talent and an injury issue. Uh, anything more before we go to the defense and kind of run down the rest of the roster? Um, no, just uh, Patriots only kept two running backs from Andre Stevenson and yes. Elliott, but uh, they were able to uh, bring back Ty Montgomery and Kevin Harris on their practice squad. Honestly, I'd probably start, still look at some outside options there. Uh, I, I don't know. But the fact that they've got Elliott behind Stevenson, they could probably still do most of what they're doing. If Elliott goes in there, it wouldn't be quite as efficient. But just there's a pretty major drop off to me from Stevenson or Elliott down to Kevin Harris at this point. Yep. And that uh, with those two running backs on the practice squad, it'll limit the number of players. Of course, there is a limit on how many you can elevate for game day. Yeah. And now you're picking between a quarterback, a running back, or two of them. And then what else are you going to do? There's also a limit of how many right. times each player can be promoted. It's three times per player before they have to just be added to the active roster. So again, I'd be shocked if Montgomery is one of the guys who got signed to the 53 uh, with Thornton or Reef going down. Yes. Um, just to solve that issue. Yeah, and I, I agree. Or or Zappy, or we've heard reports of Calvin Munson right. being in the mix. Yeah. Uh, but of those three, I would start with Montgomery, then Zappy, yeah. and then then Calvin Munson. Right. Um, the receivers you mentioned, Tyquan Thornton going to IR. Uh, I'd heard last week that Kayshawn Booty was. <laughs> of course, it's right after the fifty-three man roster projection. I drop on this podcast. Yeah, pretty much a lock. Okay. Well, I would have loved to have known that just before I had recorded. <laughs> um, he makes a team. Demario yeah. Douglas makes a team. Juju Smith-Schuster, Kendrick Bourne, Devontae Parker, who was missing from practice today, but according to someone I talked to, is fine. I, you know, not totally surprising because Thornton, we all saw get hurt, and we haven't seen him since, uh, except in the locker room today, wheeling as fast as he could out uh, because the media had arrived. It, pretty straightforward there, yeah? Yeah, pretty straightforward there at wide receiver. Pretty much what everyone had been expecting over the last, like, four or five days, I guess, uh, at this point. But, yeah, um, yeah. Okay. And I'll just say this because I included it in the column too. You know, Booty had a good camp. Uh, DeMarco mm-hmm. Douglas is their number four receiver. Ideally, two six round receivers, though, are not players you might have to count on whenever Devontae Parker misses a game and Tyquan right. Thornton is already missing time, which is both an injury issue and a talent one because you don't know how many of those guys you can trust for a full season, but they'll find out. Maybe, maybe they surprise. Defense- I'd also say that uh, the Patriots didn't take a skill position player until the sixth round. And at the time, I think a lot of people were saying, like, Hey, if you're going to take wide receivers in the sixth round, it might as well be like a total flyer like Keishon Booty yeah. and someone who's like his only bad attribute is height in Demario Douglas. And like to this point, it worked out pretty well for them. So we'll see how those guys go in the future. You would have liked to have someone else in the mix there, but I do want to give them credit for for at this point hitting on those two six rounders. Yep, that that's totally fair. Uh, and we'll see how they do in the regular season. But Pop Douglas, they were hiding in the preseason, so that tells yeah. you how they feel about him internally. Okay, defensively, uh, defensive line, no surprises. Carl Davis was the only one for me. He was, uh, you know, not it was above my bubble boy tier. And he gets cut, admits on Instagram that he just wasn't as locked in. Mm-hmm. Uh, my understanding is he's going to take a month to train and get himself back into shape. Had an injury um, from that preseason opener against Houston. And he might be back, I think, from 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 what I've heard. So beyond that, anything on the defensive line? Uh, no. I mean, the the Patriots had seven defensive linemen last year. They've got seven again this year. And it's basically just Keon White replacing Carl Davis. And they're, they're different players, obviously. But that's that number, it seems like, that they want set on the defensive line. So, um, no, I mean, I know that Lawrence Guy was a popular, like, you know, potential surprise cut at some points during the offseason. 
that never came to fruition. We'll see if he still keeps his starting role in the defense, uh, but otherwise no surprises. Eight linebackers, Matt Judon, Anthony Jennings, Josh Uche, Juwan Bentley, Jelani Tavai, Marte Mapu, Chris Borders is going to be more of a special teamer. Mm-hmm. Mac Wilson Sr. Mac Wilson was one of the last players, I think, to make this roster in a late pick to be a surprise cut. I still had him on. I think his work on the edge where he's shown some flashes, frankly, of just kind of this speed and burst um, helped him make the team. I don't think he's going to convert full-time to outside linebacker, obviously. But if and when Marte Mapu gets more reps, tightens up his tackling, mm-hmm. and becomes a player we've seen dating back to the spring, they've got depth there, and they also have someone who could maybe play in third down. And that, I think, might make Mac Wilson – who was benched in weeks three and four last year and then hardly seen again, possibly expendable if he suffers from the same issues of eye discipline um, that we saw and some tackling problems early last season. Ideally, you hope it's fixed. He's a young guy, super talented, but I, if they need to clear a roster spot, I wouldn't be surprised to see him go late September, early October. No, I wouldn't be shocked. I think that he's kind of a good example of what I was kind of alluding to earlier where I think it sets a good precedent for the Patriots to say, Bailey Zappi, you weren't good enough this summer. You struggled. We have to cut you. Whereas Mac Wilson, like, could have been, like, he might have been, who knows, the 52nd or 53rd player, whatever it is, to make this roster. But I thought that he actually had a pretty decent camp, not only, you know, playing on the edge, but he made some plays in coverage, deflected some passes. There were some times out there where I was kind of forgetting which one of those guys was Mac Wilson, which one was Jabril Peppers, which for Wilson, it's certainly a good thing because I was kind of confusing him with the safety out there at times. So he, he actually made some plays in camp and I think that he earned his spot on the roster in training camp when it was, you know, when he signed, there was definitely no guarantee that he was going to make this team. And um, the, the peppers Wilson thing also goes to just a number people at home. Oh, be like, oh, I'm going to not tell them apart, blah, blah, blah. Right. It's a three and a five. So when they're going as fast as they do and Mac Wilson is fast. Uh, Didn't peppers wear three last year too. Yeah, I believe so. So yeah, yeah it's uh, it's a little different. But Mac Wilson, you're right. He earned his spot. I'm just, yeah. you know, knowing how last year went and Marte Mapu continuing yeah. to ascend is just something I've got my eye on. Uh, cornerbacks, sure. seven here if you include Amir Speed, who our understanding is going to play primarily on special teams. Certainly impressed there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's call it six. Take Speed off the table. You've got Christian Gonzalez, Jonathan Jones, Jack Jones, Marcus Jones, Miles Bryant, and Sean Wade. Sean Wade feels like, to me, another player who – not to the degree of Mac Wilson, but certainly yeah. earned his spot yeah. with his performance in practices, multiple pass breakups, and not because the quarterbacks were just picking on him like they were Isaiah Bolden for yeah. a while. He earned this spot, but it seems like he's here because Jack Jones might not be soon, pending his legal case, any suspension or placement on the commissioner's list. Am I wrong? No, but he's also here because of Bailey Zappi, because a lot of those deflected passes came against Bailey Zappi. <laughs> so I just want to That's throw true. that out there as it's, well, that Sean Wade kind of benefited from Bailey Zappi's poor play out there. Um, I, I did think it was kind of funny. I, I don't think anyone expected Sean Wade to make the roster. That was like most mm-hmm. a few people had, you know, 51 out of 53, and he was one of the guys that we had predicted. Um, just because I couldn't really see them keeping seven cornerbacks if you include him your speed and then like you can throw Jalen Mills in the mix there too because he serves as depth from that safety position since he's played cornerback before um but I, I did think it was a little bit funny that when he was in the roster everyone was like I think some some reporters were like talking to him congratulating him for making everything and I'm thinking like maybe in the back of his mind he's like 
I've been on this roster for the last two years. <laughs> like, like I, yeah. I, I'm not like some like some like undrafted rookie who made the roster. Like, I, I've I've been on this team the last two years, but still, it was obviously somewhat unexpected for him to make it. I do think it's because of the uncertainty about Jack Jones. You need another cornerback on the roster, and quite frankly, as you mentioned, like with his play on the field and practice, he he earned this spot. He did, and he played a little bit of safety. He's yep. you know. He became a prospect in college with outstanding play as a slot corner at Ohio State. They moved him on the outside for his junior year, uh, bottomed out, but still became a fifth-round pick that the Ravens shipped up uh, after a couple months of training camp. And here he's been since, as you mentioned, really a professional healthy scratch for them on the 53-man roster, but nonetheless here. And he's never looked better. So credit to Sean Wade, his persistence in his preseason. Speaking of corners, Isaiah Bolden goes to IR. He's out for the season. We all saw the scary concussion. Mm -hmm. He's made progress. He's in the building. Connor McDermott also to IR, not surprising because had he been released, he wasn't going anywhere. Both of them get to stay, rehab, um, be a part of the team in some capacity. Any other thoughts there? Like, I think for Bolden, he's a guy who needs reps. He won't get them in practice, obviously. Yeah. They could still be released with an injury settlement, by the way. There, yeah. You know, but um, it's, it's, it's a bummer for him because you could see the raw talent, even if it still needs, I think, a good deal of reps to, you know, be put in a way or to be utilized in a way that he's a guy next year you go yeah he can make the roster yeah and usually those injury settlements happen when a player is waived injured clear waivers revert to injured reserve then that's usually a scenario where a guy will be i'm sure it's happened in the past where if you put him on ir before but like i think that like trey nixon or therese hall like those kind of guys would be more of the the way from the injury settlement but um no not not anything other major like actual player wise i will say that um joshua bledsoe was one who was on the team last year was on i think injured reserve the year before mm-hmm. he didn't make it on the team um and we'll see how he winds up doing the practice squad i think that he could still be a guy who could be called up at some point but he was waived he was wearing number 24 that opens up number 24 for christian gonzalez if he wants it or if bill belichick wants to give christian gonzalez number 24 so um that's that's an important element to throw in here as well. I still want to see Christian Gonzalez wearing number zero. Yes, I, I was just going to say, pick yeah. zero or 24 and understanding Ty Law and Darrell Revis and um, was, it, was it Jonathan Wilhite who had that who didn't deserve it? Uh, <laughs> it was Jonathan Wilhite. But yeah, Stephon Gilmore. Poor Ty guy Law, catching strays as he's trying to go to bed here on a Wednesday night. Uh, zero or 24, though, for Christian Pick. Yeah. Um, I mean, 24 is my... 24 is my favorite number, I think, for athletes. So I'd probably go 24. Okay. I'm gonna go zero. I just he's a tall, lanky ass dude. He can he, he can carry and win with zero on his back. Hell, Jason Tatum's been doing it obviously in a much different capacity, yeah. but that is the last comparison of Christian Gonzalez. Jason Tatum, you will hear in this podcast. Uh Trey Flowers and Cody Davis still in PUP. Yep. No updates there. They're basically ghosts. Um Farrell Brown, I mentioned earlier. Quick note on him. Only 15 in the practice squad. They still have an open spot down there. Farrell Brown is six foot six, 258 pounds. He's only had one season with more than 14 catches, mm-hmm. never more than 171 yards. He is the epitome of a journeyman, uh, but his familiarity with Bill O'Brien, again, I think is the reason that he's here. In addition to the fact, Matt Sokol wasn't good enough. Anthony Ferkshire wasn't good enough. Ferkshire wasn't uh, on the field today, not on the practice squad. Sokol is. And so they still need a third tight end. Uh, and you could argue a second one because of the way Mike Kosicki supposedly is going to be utilized. So, that's it. Yeah, I think that that's another element to keeping 11 offensive linemen, a much lesser one, but some of those guys might be used as second tight ends 
in kind of jumbo formation or not jumbo formations, but like in a typical running play where you want to be in uh 12 personnel might, might wind up being an offensive tackle rather than someone else. And like maybe Tyrone Wheatley, given his experience at tight end, kicks out there at, at that jumbo tight end spot. Took the words out of my mouth, <laughs> the feature out of my drafts right now as I'm working <laughs> on that. Tyrone Wheatley, man, 310-pound tight end at Stony yeah. Brook. Can you imagine just rolling in from Colgate or Maine trying to play the Seawolves of Stony Brook and you have to face this 310 pound dude from outer space slash the University of Michigan uh son of Tyrone Wheatley former running back terrifying right. anyway I'm gonna have those terrifying stories next week and a feature about him and I think you're absolutely right because you know they they did that last year they've done in the past not only just the yeah. six alignment sets but guys who are athletic enough to threaten quote-unquote as a pass catcher and maybe Maybe that's him. Okay, we have a big mailbag to get through. Let's do this quickly so we can go to bed and post this up for the folks to listen to. First one comes from HC, uh, York Sports. Uh, Have your expectations of the team changed or stay the same now that the roster is finalized and training camp and preseason is over? Um, I guess uh, it's, it's probably changed a little bit for me. Like it depends on where we're setting this bar. Like when did this, when, when is the beginning of the expectations versus the end? If like start training them, camp to where we are now, start training camp. I think they've changed. I think that they're higher than they would have been. Um, I just, I know that there's a lot of issues there on the offensive line and maybe I'm just like getting too influenced by things that don't necessarily matter, but everyone on this offense just seems jazzed or at least like Mac Jones does the, the wide receivers do the tight ends do there. There seems to be genuine confidence about Mac Jones, about Bill O'Brien and about this offense. And none of that matters if the offensive line craters and ruins the entire season, but I don't know. It's just the attitude around the offense and the team just seems so much different this year where the offense seems to be catching up to the defense. I think the defense still seems to be, you know, could be an elite unit this year. We'll we'll see how that all works out with replacing Devin McCourty. But yeah, I think my expectations would be a little bit higher coming out of the summer. Mine are the same nine and eight or 10 and seven, make it happen. I get the Vegas stuff, the difficult schedule, and I'm not knocking it. The issues in the offensive line theoretically should be solved with time. Adrian Clem, I wrote three weeks ago, you're under pressure, dude. You got to develop these guys and make it happen. Oh, biscuits asked quote, it feels like Zappi's poor OTAs in camp weren't really pointed out that much until we saw in the preseason games. Now it feels like a lot of victory laps are being taken. All I heard is that Mac was clearly the starter. Could you elaborate on what you saw during open practices from Zappi? We've covered this already. I listed off the stats, his issues with passes being bad at the line. He at least averaged one per practice um, when you include all of them. So what all I'm going to do here is just going to read from the aforementioned duds section of my practice reports. This was from the last final uh, practice report I filed. Quote, for a backup quarterback, Zappi's performance uh, met that mark. His mistakes were the same that availed him throughout camp. Batted balls and holding onto the ball too long in the pocket. He had three passes knocked down at the line and took two would-be sacks eight days earlier. So not the last day of camp, but the week before. Quote, Zappi took six sacks in team drills. He threw an interception on a dead running back screen that cornerback Sean Wade revived when he picked off the pass and went back for a would-be pick six. Zappi hardly inspired over his two-minute drill, which ended with a sack, throwaway, completion to Kayshawn Booty, and handoff to J.J. Taylor. So some of us were documenting it. I think the focus more was on Mac once he became the starter because, believe it or not, that was an issue, quote-unquote, at the start of camp. And you just figured, of course the Patriots are going to roster a backup quarterback. He just doesn't look good. It just was not even on anyone's radar that they would cut Bailey Zappi because I think the other thing in play here, 
I feel bad saying this, but like Trace Trace McSorley was so bad that there was no competition for the second string spot. And no one would have possibly expected them to cut everyone other than Mac Jones. I'll also throw in there that like I wrote the word scramble down way too often when charting Bailey Zappi's completions and targets this summer. We're like, you don't want the four nine guy getting sacked and then taking <laughs> off running or whatever in practice because sacks don't actually count. Like he was just holding the ball way too long all the time. And I think a lot of those plays where he actually wound up running would have been sacks and that would have never happened. But like, it's just a pointless rep when it ends with Bailey Zappi running down the field. And that happened far too often. Yeah. And at least no victory laps taken here or on Doug's no. behalf. Like you don't yeah. see or take any pleasure in a player getting cut. You love to be right, but not in this sense. And none of us were right. So I, you know, if someone's taking a victory lap. Uh, I, I don't know, but find, find a hobby. Uh, Epri, E-P-R-I, quote, this is the third season of Max rookie contract. The talent of the roster is middling. Epri's in a bad mood. The expectations are shrinking, and there seems to be no urgency to take advantage of the G quarterback. I guess my question would be, if not now, when? It's a great point, and I think this goes undersaid uh, and stated, frankly, across the media because we get, you know, really into the weeds, and we zoom out sometimes. We talk about Mac, but it's always in a different context, not the fact that every other team in the league treats – their young quarterbacks as having a window and that window is the length of their deal and how cheap it is. My response would be the Patriots are not going all in because they typically don't. Uh, I, you could argue maybe they never have, but right. the other part about this is you can't go all in in a quarterback that you don't fully believe in. And I don't think it's unfair to say the Patriots don't have enough reason to believe Mac Jones could be their guy to support him now and make it happen. They, from what I understand, believe that they need to make him comfortable. And I would argue they haven't done that well enough, but they're not going to spend money and cost future cap space for players that are not going to be good enough because maybe Mac isn't good enough to have a collective where they could be Super Bowl bound. And I think that's the reason why you might have your powder dry. And the only one really that would make sense to me. Yeah, I mean, they kind of did in 2021. Uh, obviously, they didn't know that Mac Jones would be their quarterback on a rookie deal, but they did spend a lot of money that year. And I think that they do still have one more year to do it in 2024. And maybe they did just want to see like, all right, we got to figure out if Mac Jones is the guy before we go all in. So let's give him one more season with Bill O'Brien. If he impresses, if we pick up that fifth year option, then maybe we throw the money at the team in 2024. We're going to have a ton of cap space, ton of cap space in the future. And actually, I think, you know, even if they do have to sign, like even if they do pick up the fifth year extension, even if they do sign Mac to an extension, they're they're still going to have a lot of money to spend on players. So this is kind of a good time to do it. Um, but this is without giving too much away of a column that I'm writing for Sunday, like this is a make or break year for Mac Jones, where this season is going to decide whether he's going to be the Patriots, Patriots future franchise quarterback or in the position that Bailey Zappi was in this year as a backup quarterback, like trying to make a roster as a back. Like I, I just, that's what's going to happen this year. If Mac Jones plays as badly as, as he did last year, as poorly as he did last year, he's probably going to be a backup quarterback next year. And if he plays really well this season, then he'll probably be the Patriots quarterback for the next three or four years at least. So yeah, I don't know. and that's what they have to decide this year. You've got a great piece coming out about this and what people think around around the league about yeah. Mac. Please read Doug's piece. It's it's going to be excellent. The feedback, the things that I've heard and read from it so far. Uh, the the comparison I made though is the fork in the road is Baker Mayfield, who went from being the Browns yeah. first yeah. round quarterback, great rookie year, ascending. Oh, and then he's Panther. 
Oh, now he's a Ram. Right. Oh, Tampa Bay just said Baker Mayfield's their starting quarterback. Or are you going to be Dak Prescott, who had another right. stellar rookie season, suffered a year two regression, and then bounced back and is obviously the quarterback down there, though. Things are never just settled in Dallas. They just something has <laughs> to be wrong. Um, speaking of cap space, oh, and then we'll get to Gary's question, and I'll let you think on this now. He asked over under uh, 0.5 contract extensions announced between now and week one. If yeah. you pick the over, who's the player getting extended? While you think about that, cap space m- matters. Cash spending matters more. Uh, and I'll say this, Janu Smith got a lot of cash and is still taking up cap space because of the hard cash spent, the guaranteed money that was spent on him right. to the point two years after that 2021 spending spree. Do you know who the second highest paid player is on the Patriots offense? Is it Johnny Smith? It's Johnny Smith. So this money yeah. matters when he had a lower cap hit in 21, yeah. bigger in 2022. They trade him. He's still on the book for 2023 because of the dead cap that he left behind on that deal. So when the Patriots, you know, need to go all in and do this and they could do it now on Max Window, like if they do that in next offseason, you're gonna have players still with big cap hits in 24, oh, yeah. 25, and 26. Yeah. It's a little different because we're gonna have giant market growth, expected market growth with the cap going up. Um, but anyway, that's another conversation. Okay, the extension over under. I probably go under. Um, if I went over, I probably would say Kyle Duggar at this point. Um, but I'll go under. It, it hasn't happened yet. Like if it hasn't happened for the last thirty days or whatever it is, then like, what's necessarily going to change? I, I know that deadline change things, but I'd probably still go under. So I'm going to go over just to take the low hanging fruit, being the good guy, positive on the podcast. Yeah. Um, but my instinct is to say under, and the one reason, the only reason to believe in this, because uh, in writing about this about a month ago, the suggestion that Kyle Duggar's agency has not reached a deal with the Patriots this late in the process is a bad sign uh, without yeah. going more into the weeds about that dynamic and relationship. But the Patriots still have a lot of dry powder, like I mentioned, and why they might be keeping that dry because they don't believe in Mac. They sure as hell believe in Kyle Duggar. And Kyle yeah. wants to maximize his second contract. He's already 27. Totally understandable. The Patriots should want to keep that guy in-house, draft a homegrown talent to be probably a Pro Bowl safety this year. And I think you spend some of that money now, keep him on the books. And um, they've done it with Jonathan Jones, Shaq Mason, 2019 and 18, respectively. Hopefully that changes here. Um, Cy asks, quote, now that the 53-man roster is, quote, set, uh, you get to pick one biggest season-long surprise from each of the offensive and defensive side of the ball, who do you got? So basically breakout player. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like this is almost impossible at this point because we've dissected <laughs> every single player on, player on the roster, like yeah. to such a large degree. So they're like, I genuinely don't think you could pick a surprise contributor because we've talked about everyone so much, but so I would probably say Demario Douglas and Marte Mapu. I know that those like don't sound like surprise contributors, but who else may I pick like, Hunter Henry or, you know, like whoever else would be like Jalen Mills, I guess might be in there, but yeah, Douglas, I think still has the potential once he gets healthy fully in there uh, to be, I think he could ascend into a number three wide receiver role. I don't know who he would ascend above because I do believe in Julius Smith-Schuster uh, Kendrick Bourne and Devontae Parker, but I do think that that's a possibility. And from Apu, we just haven't really seen much of what he's going to do at this point, but I do think that there's a possibility that they've almost been, kind of hiding him as well and that when they roll out their defense in week one 
that he could be a starter. <laughs> like they just shocked the hell out of any everyone, like take your Bill Peppers out of there or something like that and just say like, hey, we really like this guy. He really impressed us. He's a starter. Let's let him sink or swim. So those would be my two guys. Jabril Peppers is my one on defense. Uh, nice. I've been riding this early in camp. The trouble is I think he's just, uh, you know, a little bit of a narrow player. Like you're not going to ask him to cover much in man, but he hits. He yeah. covers running backs and tight ends. He can be in zone, very instinctive. I think he's he's harnessing his natural talent better than he ever has before, and he fits his system. He's more comfortable. That's my guy. Antonio Maffi is the last one. I think you're, again, starting left guard for week one, maybe beyond, but he's been repping with the starters for a long yeah. time now, and I think that's a guy who has a lot of college experience and still upside because he started on defense at UCLA yeah. and obviously is no longer there. So two more. Uh, Jaeger wants to know, where are the explosive plays going to come from? Uh, Demario Douglas, maybe. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> and this like... this is a good question from Jaeger because Warren Sharp tweeted today yeah. the eight most explosive offenses, those generating chunk plays, you know, to 15 yards on the ground, 20 or more by the air. The eight most explosive offenses last year all made the playoffs. Right. Maybe Devontae Parker. I know he's not like a speed demon out there, but we saw him making a lot of big plays in practice. He's the one who made the most big plays for the Patriots this summer. So in all reality. If there's going to be explosive plays, they would probably come from Devontae Barker. Uh, I'm going to say scheme, play action yeah. shots. I think yards after the catch for Juju. That's why he's here. He better make it happen. Uh, and occasional screens, like, it, you know, RPO play action screens. Like, that's just going to have to be it. Like, I, I think Devontae Barker's a good pick. Um, I just think he's going to miss some games and you need to find yeah. some other outlets. Tomorrow, Douglas, so just get him the ball in space. Let him, right. let him cook. Last one, Jeff, quote, if Bourne has a good season – Defined as this would be career high, 900 yards or more. Do you see the Patriots trying to resign him or is Booty the heir apparent for that role? Jeff showing off his receiver terminology knowledge, the Z receiver slash possession guy. That's great after the catch. Uh, he is great after the catch, expected yards after the catch for Kendrick Bourne last year. I think it was three and a half yards over expectation yeah. based on where he caught the ball, proximity to the defenders, route, location, blah, 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 blah. Uh, so anyway, Bourne resigned. Or do they stick with Booty? Yeah, no, I could definitely see him resign then resigning uh Kendrick Bourne. I don't think that you you take as a wide receiver in the sixth round and say, like, hey, this is our replacement for for Kendrick Bourne. I don't think that those I know they play similar positions and that they'd have similar roles in the offense, but I don't think that drafting Keishon Booty would preclude them from re-signing Kendrick Bourne. I think it would ultimately be like some other factor other than Keishon Booty. Yeah, I just I someone asked me on Twitter today uh, who disagreed with the column. Totally fine. Disagree mm -hmm. away. This is what I'm, the waters I'm wading into doing more opinion stuff. <laughs> you know, you don't see Keishon Booty as a starting caliber player. No, of course I don't. Right. Come on. You know, like he's had a good camp. He ascended. He grew. I understand what he did in 2020. I don't want to hear about 2020 anymore. Right. You know, he could prove it very well. Week one, two and three and four. And that's enough. If he starts and shows out good for him, I'll say it. But I just, you need to know how these rookies function in the NFL. They've never done this yeah. before against this level of competition, being a pro week in and week out. If it's week six and he's caught two passes on three targets, how is he going to handle that in the locker room? Is he going to pal right. think he's better than the guys ahead of him? Or is he going to step up and get deeper into his playbook and take advantage of those opportunities? I don't know. He doesn't yeah. know. The coaching staff does not know. So I would just say wait on booty. Born though, I have a little bit of intel, and that's that um, the Patriots have not even approached him about a contract extension yet. And Matt Groh said they have conversations every year with all the players going into the last years of their contracts. That was in uh, late July when he spoke to us last. They have not done so with Kendrick Bourne. So as of now, I would be surprised. 
but uh, I'm not going to rule it out. So yeah. that's that. Well, he seems happy. He, yeah. he seems very happy this year. Here's hoping we don't have to resign you, Doug Hyde, because I don't know what I would do with this podcast or with our coverage <laughs> with the Patriots, which, of course, you could find us at thebostonherald.com, at Doug Kide, K-Y-E-D on Twitter. If you're not following me, I don't know what you're doing, uh, as cool. it is now, because you found this podcast somehow without him or me. But um, <laughs> really appreciate the time. We will see you tomorrow. It's going to be a down weekend for us. And then the regular season is here, man. We finally made it. It's, it's ramping back up. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to getting on a, a normal schedule here. That'll be yes, great. for sure. All right. Um, please continue to send your good vibes to his daughter, Hallie. Um, I believe some good news, hopefully, fingers crossed, coming on the way soon. And beyond that, we have a lot of stories coming out this weekend. A giant, you know, if you're still into print newspapers on Sunday, giant football preview. Will the Patriots make the playoffs? Will they not? We debated that. Big stories on Mac, Belichick, the whole team roster, AFC East, NFL picks. MVP, division winners, et cetera, et cetera. Lots more to come. Um, but anyway, we <laughs> we need to go to bed. I'll see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow.